Loving Father in heaven, we thank you for an opportunity to know you more as we study your word. Very important mysteries and truths are about to be opened to our minds now, Lord, and we pray, please help us, Lord, that your word will not fall on the ground. Grant us graciously of your spirit that we may know you. Speak through me, dear Lord, and put your words in my mouth that blessings may flow forth to your children to the glory of your Son and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him. January 20. The Babe of Bethlehem. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Luke chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 We cannot understand how Christ became a little helpless babe. He could have come to earth in such beauty that he would have been unlike the sons of men. His face could have been bright with light and his form could have been tall and beautiful. He could have come in such a way as to charm those who looked upon him. But this was not the way that God planned he should come among the sons of men. He was to be like those who belonged to the human family and to the Jewish race. His features were to be like those of other human beings and he was not to have such beauty of person as to make people point him out as different from others. He was to come as one of the human family and to stand as a man before heaven and earth. He had come to take man's place, to pledge himself in man's behalf, to pay the debt that sinners owed. He was to live a pure life on the earth and show that Satan had told a falsehood when he claimed that the human family belonged to him forever and that God could not take men out of his hands. Men first beheld Christ as a child. His parents were very poor, and he had nothing in this earth save that which the poor have. He passed through all the trials that the poor and lowly passed through from babyhood to childhood, from youth to manhood. The more we think about Christ's becoming a babe here on earth, the more wonderful it appears. How can it be that the helpless babe in Bethlehem's manger is still the divine Son of God? Though we cannot understand it, we can believe that He who made the worlds for our sakes became a helpless babe, though higher than any of the angels, though as great as the Father on the throne of heaven, He became one with us. In him, God and man became one. And it is in this fact that we find hope of our fallen race. Looking upon Christ in the flesh, we look upon God in humanity and see in him the brightness of divine glory, the express image of God the Father. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is The Babe of Bethlehem. 
And the Lord has messages for us today. You see, we cannot exhaust all the lessons we can learn from just a contemplation that our Lord Jesus came in human flesh as a baby, partaker of all that we partake in. Today, we may not be able to flesh out everything there is, but as we go on, we will look at different aspects and different lessons that that the Lord wants to teach us from the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What we have read today contains a lot of lessons, but I will be dwelling on what it means that Christ was born. Not just that he took human flesh, but that he was born of a woman on this earth. Like I will always say, like we read in the That I May Know Him, page 8, paragraph 3, the Word of God presents the most potent means of education, as well as the most valuable source of knowledge within the reach of man. We see revealed in the Word of God the character of the Eternal and listen to his voice as he communes with patriarchs and prophets. We see explained the mysteries of his providence, the great problems which have engaged the attention of every thoughtful mind but which, without the aid of revelation, human intellect seeks in vain to solve. They open to our understanding a simple yet sublime system of theology presenting truths which a child may grasp, but which are yet so far-reaching as to baffle the powers of the strongest mind." Let us explore today then something about the mystery of the Incarnation, that when it is unraveled to us, you would say, Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, because we are going to know him today. And you know that Jesus said, Search the Scriptures. And that searching means to compare scripture with scripture. And that is how to study deeply. And when we search, Jesus said that you would see that the scriptures testify of him. So let us join hands together today and study to see what the Lord has to teach us that will be a blessing to us. Let us read the account of the birth of this babe of Bethlehem. In Matthew 1, reading from verse 18 to 25, it says, Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 24 and 25 says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. What do we learn from here? Verse 20 tells us that the angel that the angel Gabriel said to Joseph, Fear not to take Mary to wife. Why? Because the child that is in her is of the Holy Ghost. And then 
a Bible passage is referred to us that it was prophesied that a virgin shall be with child. And in verse 25, we see Joseph doing something very important. It says that Joseph knew her not. That is, Joseph avoided any sexual intercourse with Mary till she had brought forth her firstborn son. What does that tell you? There is the notion that Mary is a virgin even after giving birth to Jesus. But verse 25 tells us that that is not the case. When he says he knew her not till, that means after she gave birth to her, he didn't say to her son, but to her firstborn. What does this imply? That after she gave birth to her firstborn, then he took her as his wife and he knew her. And then after that, since this is the firstborn, he had brothers and sisters. She gave birth to other children. Verse 25 of Matthew 1 tells us clearly those two things. Mary was the wife of Jake of Joseph. She was not just there doing house chores till, till Joseph died. What she did her duty of intimacy to Jake Joseph as his wife. So when we talk of virgin Mary, no, she was a virgin till she gave birth to Jesus. And then the other lesson we learn is that Joseph did not touch Mary. The reason for this was that it was to make it clear that he was not the father of the child and also that Mary was a virgin as at the time she gave birth to Jesus. The only explanation of Mary's pregnancy is exactly what Joseph had heard in the dream, that which was conceived of her was of the Holy Ghost. Some have made this out to mean that the child and man Jesus Christ had some advantage over men today and this is what our focus will be on in this devotion, that since Jesus was born of the Holy Ghost, he had an advantage over men today. But we will see as we compare scripture with scripture that this is really a beautiful thing that Jesus was born of the Holy Ghost. But we will explore to see, does that give him any advantage? If it does, then what advantage is that? Is that advantage over us or do we also have it? Those are the questions we will answer. So let us examine and get more information. Look at that information about the nature of Jesus Christ. So we read Luke chapter 1 now, still on account of Jesus' birth. Reading from verse 26, it says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over, his, over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Amen. I want us to take note of this passage, that holy thing. And that's, con- that's one thing. And secondly, the Son of God. What makes him that holy thing? 
the angel said in verse 35, the reason why he's called that holy thing is because it, the Holy Ghost is responsible for this birth. And this, since the Holy Ghost is responsible, he is called that holy thing. And not only that, he says he shall be called the Son of God. Three things. Responsible for the birth is the Holy Ghost. And that is why the angel says that holy thing. And then he finally says he shall be called the Son of God. Amen. This is the mixture of divinity with humanity. We've seen this in previous devotions, but I want us to read something about the nature of Jesus Christ. Why we see him as that holy thing, born of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1129, paragraph 3 says, But although Christ's divine glory was for a time veiled and eclipsed by his assuming humanity, yet he did not cease to be God when he became man. The human did not take the place of the divine, nor the divine of the human. This is the mystery of godliness. The two expressions, human and divine, were in Christ closely and inseparably one. And yet, they had a distinct individuality. Though Christ humbled himself to become man, the Godhead was still his own. His deity could not be lost while he stood faithful and true to his loyalty. Surrounded with sorrow, suffering and moral pollution, despised and rejected by the people to whom had been entrusted the oracles of heaven, Jesus could yet speak of himself as the Son of Man in heaven. He was ready to take once more his divine glory when his work on earth was done. End of quote. Does it baffle you? Divinity and humanity were in one person and yet they were a distinct individuality. Which means there was a separation. The humanity of Jesus is separate and the divinity of Jesus is also separate. But yet, he is God and deity could not be lost because he is Jesus. He cannot lose his deity. He is still deity. But it says here that he humbled himself to be a man. The human did not take the place of the divine, nor the divine take the place of the human. They were inseparably one, but yet having, not that they were separate, but they were inseparably one, but yet having a distinct individuality. What does this mean for us as we are trying to understand that babe of Bethlehem that was called that holy thing? Why is it called that holy thing? The answer answer seems very obvious. He was born of the Holy Spirit, that's why. But then, like I said earlier, many have used this difference in the birth of Jesus to excuse themselves from living holy lives because to them, it is sufficient evidence that Jesus had an advantage over all other men. He had a different birth, born of the Holy Ghost. How can you expect me to live a sinless life, they would say. But what does the Bible say about this blend of the human and the divine in Jesus? In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we are told, For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Amen. This means that Jesus was a partaker of of what every child born on this earth and of man as a seed of Abraham would partake. 
What does that mean? Desire of Ages, page 48, paragraph 5 says, It would have been an almost infinite humiliation for the Son of God to take man's nature, even when Adam stood in his innocence in Eden. Just chew on that for a while. Where God to take the nature of Adam before sin, that was already infinite humiliation. But Jesus accepted humanity when the race had been weakened by 4,000 years of sin. Like every child of Adam, hear this now, like every child of Adam, he accepted the results of the working of the great law of heredity. What these results were is shown in the history of his earthly ancestors. He came with a heredity to share our sorrows and temptations and to give us the example of a sinless life. End of quote. Amen. Jesus, though, having that inseparable human and divine nature yet distinct in their individuality, still did not escape the law of heredity that every one of us partake in. That is why Hebrews 2 verse 16 and 7 says that he did not take the nature of angels. In all things, he, it behooved him to be made like unto us, so that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest. He partook in all things that every child that is born partakes in. And his lineage explains that in Matthew 1, reading from verse 1 down to verse 17. Who are the people in his lineage? Verse 7 says, Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abia. Verse 5 says that Salmon begat Boaz of a woman called Rahab. Rahab is a harlot. It says that Jesus had in his lineage someone in verse 6 called David, the man who committed adultery. And David begot Solomon. Solomon, the man who had a thousand women to his uh, beck and calling, sleeping with all of them, concubines and wives. And then there was Rehoboam, an unfaithful man. And then there were other people like uh all those last kings of Israel, like people like Zedekiah and people like Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim, who were unfaithful people in the lineage of Jesus, were people like Jacob, Judah, people who had faults in their lives. Jesus partook of all of this. This was the law of heredity. What is the law of heredity? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 561, paragraph 2 says, And fathers as well as mothers are involved in this responsibility. Both parents transmit their own characteristics, mental and physical, their dispositions and appetites to their children. As the result of parental intemperance, children often lack physical strength and mental and moral power. Liquor drinkers and tobacco users may and do transmit their insatiable craving, their inflamed blood and irritable nerves to their children. The licentious often bequeath their unholy desires and even loathsome diseases as a legacy to their offspring. And as the children have less power to resist temptation than had their parents, the tendency is for each generation to fall lower and lower to a great degree. Parents are responsible not only for the violent passions and perverted appetites of their children, but for the infirmities of the thousands born deaf, blind, diseased, or idiotic." End of quote. Jesus partook of whatever every man who is born to this earth can partake, and we just read now how parents transmit and what they transmit, physical, mental, and moral dispositions. They transmit it to their children, even the appetite they transmit, the kind of food they like, the kind of food the parent likes, the child may have a susceptibility to also like. The kind of evils they have practiced, the child has a susceptibility to also practice that. We read in the devotion today, that I may know him, we read there, that 
Jesus was to be like those who belong to the human family and to the Jewish race. So let's talk of his physical look. He would look like a Jew. How? Because he was born of a Jewish woman. His features, it says, were to be like those of the other human beings and he was not to have such a beauty of person as to make people point him out as different from others. He was to come as one of the human family and to stand as a man before heaven and earth. He had come to take man's place, to pledge himself in man's behalf, to pay the debt that sinners owed. So, what does that mean for us? It's exactly what we've been saying. How would Jesus look like a Jew? Because the blood of a Jewish woman was in him. How would he, his facial features look like? Like that of Mary, who gave birth to him. Certainly not like Joseph, but he would look like Mary because that was the person that gave birth to him. They will have the same physical features, not in everything, but in most things. Do you know why this is very important? It is because this is showing us how we can overcome. Because the law of heredity, Jesus did not escape it. It was for this reason that Jesus was placed in the hands of godly parents. If it was that he was divine and his divinity was an advantage that he had, God wouldn't need to have taken the pain to ensure that he was born in the family of the godliest of the godly in Bethlehem. God will teach us the lesson that in order for man to perfect character and for a child to know God from birth like Jesus and live a life free from sin, even our Lord Jesus or any other child needs the advantage of heredity, the advantage of godly parents. So why was Jesus placed in the care of Mary and Joseph if he was all divine? It is because he was dependent on the training he received. But even before the training, he was even dependent on the woman herself, what kind of person she was. She was a blessed woman. She was godly. She was holy. And that is why God chose her. God chose her for that purpose because Jesus was going to partake of heredity. And if Mary had married, like of course she married Joseph, and the children she gave birth to from her and Joseph were going to also have the same advantage because they are coming from parents that are godly and they are transmitting to their child godly traits. And that was the same advantage Jesus had. Other than that, we see other things. Of course, we'll talk about the fact that he was not born of a man but of the Holy Ghost. And that is the most interesting part. We'll get to that. But I want to read something, Desire of Ages, page 70, paragraph 1, to explain that Jesus needed the same thing that we all need. It says, The child Jesus did not receive instruction in the synagogue schools. His mother was his first human teacher. From her lips and from the scrolls of the prophets, he learned of heavenly things. The very words which he himself had spoken to Moses for Israel, he was now taught at his mother's knee. End of quote. So, Jesus came to leave us an example, and we have seen in Romans 8, verse 3, yesterday's devotion, that he took sinful flesh. In Manuscript Releases, volume 17, page 28, paragraph 3 and down, what it says, The Son of God took human nature upon him and came to this earth to stand at the head of the, of the fallen race. He dwelt on this earth a man among men. He took the nature of man with all its possibilities. We have nothing to endure that he has not endured. Adam had the advantage over Christ in that when he was assailed by the tempter, none of the effects of sin were upon him. He stood in the strength of perfect manhood, possessing the full vigor of mind and body. He was surrounded with the glories of Eden and was in daily communion with heavenly beings. 
It was not thus with Jesus when he entered the wilderness to cope with Satan. For 4,000 years, the race had been decreasing in physical strength, in mental power, in moral worth, and Christ took upon him the infirmities of degenerate humanity. Only thus could he rescue man from the lowest depth of degradation. Amen. Let me just go back. What we just read now tells us a difference. Who had the advantage? Jesus or Adam? Adam had advantage. Jesus' nature was not the same nature Adam had. Adam had perfect human nature in Eden, surrounded with nothing but holy experiences, having communion face to face with angels, talking with God face to face with Him, and He had His nature perfect, not immoral, not fallen. Jesus took fallen nature. That doesn't make Him a sinner, of course. We're going to look at that. His nature was lesser than that of Adam. Adam had the advantage. Reading Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 252, paragraph 1, we are told, In taking human nature, Christ was fitted to understand man's trials and sorrows and all the temptations wherewith he is beset. Angels who were unacquainted with sin could not sympathize with man in his peculiar trials. End of quote. Going on, it says in Amazing Grace, page 42, paragraph 5, He lived the law of God and honored it in a world of transgression, revealing to the heavenly universe, to Satan, and to all the fallen sons and daughters of Adam, that through his grace humanity can keep the law of God. So, all we have said concerning Christ and his nature, does this mean that Jesus partook of the sins of his ancestors just because the law of heredity still worked in him? He did not any more than any other man is not also guilty of the sin of his ancestors. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is not birth. We are not held guilty by God and debarred from his kingdom because of our birth. If this is not the case, then we would say any child that is born of a woman who did not have the opportunity to believe in Jesus has no hope. This will then lead to the inconsistent and erroneous practice of infant baptism. Are all babies sinners? No. God judges every child based on his own wisdom and even children of ungodly parents have hope. Look at the life of Jeroboam, the man who was a wicked, one of the most wicked kings who apostatized from God and took all Israel with him in the apostasy. 1 Kings 14 talks about when Jeroboam had a son that was young and this son was about to die and he was at his wit's end knowing for what to do to save his son and he sent his wife to go and meet a prophet of the Lord. That prophet's name is Ahijah. Ahijah was a blind man, but the Lord appeared to Ahijah, telling him that Jeroboam's wife was coming. Of course, Ahijah was a prophet of the Lord who was against Jeroboam. So Jeroboam told his wife to disguise herself and go and meet Ahijah. Now Ahijah was told what to tell her concerning that son that she was bringing to him. And here are some of the words that Ahijah told Jeroboam's wife. Reading 1 Kings 14 from verse 7, it says, Go tell Jeroboam. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee, I just want to show you that Jeroboam was a wicked man. That's why I'm reading all of this. As much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only that which was right in my eyes, but has done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made thee other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and hast cast behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung till it be all gone. 
Now, verse 12 to 13, I'm just showing you Jeroboam was wicked and God did not like what he was doing. But hear what God said about that child. Verse 12 and 13, she told, the prophet told the woman, Arise thou therefore, get to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die. Hmm. Verse 13, And all Israel shall mourn him, hear, hear the lesson now, and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him, there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Amen. So here is a child in the house of someone whom God has so denounced and God has said he's going to punish, you know, if there's anything called punish the hell out of him. God was going to punish the hell out of Jer- Jeroboam. He was going to deal with him sternly because of his evil deeds. But yet, there is a child in this man's house that the Lord said, he will have a good burial. I see something good in him. Don't say that every child is born a sinner, even if they are born in the house of unbelievers. Reading from Third Selected Messages, page 314, paragraph 4. Some parents allow Satan to control their children and their children are not restrained, talking about godly parents, but are allowed to have wicked tempers to be passionate, selfish and disobedient. Should they die, these children will not be taken to heaven. The parents' course of action is determining the future welfare of their children. If they allow them to be disobedient and passionate, they are allowing Satan to take them in charge and walk through them as shall please his satanic majesty. And these children, never educated to obedience and to lovely traits of character, will not be taken to heaven. For the same temper and disposition will be revealed in them. End of quote. So here he's telling us it is the training that the parents give to the children that will make them either permitted to heaven or not. Children are not born and then you say just because they are born they are sinners. First John 3 verse 4, sin is transgression of the law. It is not our nature that is sin, it is the transgression of the law. Then again reading page 315 of the same book it says, 315 paragraph 1, but going on it says, this is a most delicate subject. Many unbelieving parents manage their children with greater wisdom than many of those who claim to be children of God. They take much pains with their children to make them kind, courteous, unselfish and to teach them to obey. And in this, the unbelieving show greater wisdom than those parents who have the great light of truth but whose works do not in any wise correspond with their faith. End of quote. So, all this I have gone through is to just show a lesson. Children are not sinners from birth. It is the training a child receives which in turn forms their character that God examines in order to determine their receiving of eternal life or not. There will be infants resurrected at the second coming of Jesus. They did not have the opportunity to believe, but they are not sinners because they were never baptized or were born of men. Being born of a man does not make one a sinner. Jesus was born of a man. He did not escape the heredity. He had it. He was in sinful flesh, but that does not make him a sinner. Sin is the transgression of the law. Now, let us go back to the nature of the babe of Bethlehem and learn more about Jesus. What does it mean that he was born of the Holy Ghost and was called that holy thing? And angel said he will be called the Son of God. There was something different about his birth. In reading from 13 manuscripts volume 13 page 18 paragraph 1 we are told be careful exceedingly careful as to how you dwell upon the human nature of christ do not set him before the people as a man with the propensities of sin he is the second adam the first adam was created a pure sinless being without a taint of sin upon him he was in the image of god he could fall and he did fall through transgressing 
because of sin his posterity was born with inherent propensities of disobedience but jesus christ was the only begotten son of god he took upon himself human nature and was tempted in all points as human nature is tempted he could have sinned he could have fallen the same thing was just said of adam that adam could have sinned adam could have fallen and fallen and adam did fall same thing is now said about jesus he could have sinned he could have fallen but the difference is that for not for one moment i'm continuing the reading but not for one moment was there in him an evil propensity he was assailed with temptations in the wilderness as adam was assailed with temptations in eden so where is the difference christ did not have for one moment an evil propensity but the children of adam they could fall they could sin just like jesus could fall and jesus could sin but one difference is they have inherent propensities whereas jesus didn't so one will say that's the advantage but let's go on this is why did jesus have no inherent propensities to evil and what does evil mean to have no inherent propensities let's get into that now so listen jesus had no inherent propensities because of his upbringing and firstly because of the fact that from the womb he was born of the holy ghost in being born of the holy ghost jesus right from his conception already had what we call the new birth experience and all his life was already converted whereas we we ourselves need to be born again jesus was already what paul described as the new creature where you see all things are passed away he didn't need to have an experience that you say oh you need to be born again he was already born of the holy ghost because that's what it means to be born again but we are not born as new creatures this was how he did not have one sinful propensity when jesus was speaking to nicodemus in john 3 verse 3 to 6 jesus answered and said unto him verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus said how can a man be born when he's old can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born jesus answered verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born of two things now water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of god that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit do you get the message john 3 verse 6 that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit we are born of the flesh but jesus was a combination both of the flesh and of the spirit but he had the birth of the holy ghost we are born of the flesh from birth and therefore are not partakers of what we call the divine nature but jesus though a human born of the flesh with as as am from mary yet he was a partaker of the joy of the divine nature born of the spirit therefore that is where he had the difference but then is this an advantage we will say it is if we do not have the opportunity to be born again like jesus but we both have the opportunity to be born again and to be a partaker of the divine nature god has not withheld it from us like the babe of bethlehem we can have the divine christ the word the eternal god the i am that i am living in us while we are in human flesh second peter chapter 1 reading verse 3 and 4 says according as his divine power had given unto us how many things 
all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust wonderful promises indeed amen that God allows us to experience the same thing that Jesus did to be a partaker of the divine nature it is wonderful the escaping of the corruption of the world through lust is the shedding and giving up of the sinful propensities that are inherent in us because if Christ is in us we are new creatures all things are passed away we become partakers of the divine nature as he was born of the spirit as he was we will not retain any sinful propensity Reading from Maranatha, page 225, paragraph 7 and 8, it says, We need not retain one sinful propensity as we partake of the divine nature, heredity, and cultivated tendencies to wrong. So, what are sinful propensities? That is it. Heredity and cultivated tendencies to wrong. They are cut away from the character. When? As we partake of the divine nature. What does it mean, partake of the divine nature? It means to be born of the Spirit, to be born of God. Can we be born of God? Yes, we can. That is, we can have the experience of Jesus. I continue the reading now. It says, as we partake of the divine nature, heredity and cultivated tendencies to wrong are cut away from the character. We, and we are made a living power for good ever learning of the divine teacher daily partaking of his nature we cooperate with god in overcoming satan's temptations god works and man works that man may be one with christ as christ is one with god then we sit together with christ in heavenly places the mind rests with peace and assurance in jesus end of quote amen that is why we read in the book of first john 3 verse 8 and 9 he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed, that is the divine nature, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Because what? He is born of God. How was Jesus born? He was born of God because the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He was born of God. And we also, if we are born of God, we will have the experience that Jesus had. We can have the experience of the babe of the Bethlehem, of Bethlehem today. The angel said to Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This applies to you and to me. We also can be overshadowed with the Holy Ghost when he comes upon us. For he is the third person of the Godhead through whom Jesus was conceived. And when he comes upon us as he came upon Jesus, we become partakers of the divine nature. And it can be said of us, that holy thing which shall be born or which has been born is the Son of of God. Amen. No wonder John exclaims in 1 John 3 verse 1 and 2, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. What did the angel say once again? 
that holy thing shall be called the Son of God. John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, we know, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. Then John also said, like we read before in the book of John chapter 1, reading from verse 12, As many as received him, to them he gave what? Power. Power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What does that mean? Power to have the same kind of birth as the babe of Bethlehem. To be born of the Holy Ghost that we become that holy thing, the sons of God. Jesus offers to us every advantage that will help us overcome. This is this doesn't mean it was when he was born that this advantage came. This advantage has been there since the time Adam sinned and God promised it. It was thus that Enoch was able to walk with God. It was thus that Daniel had an excellent spirit. These men were partakers of the divine nature and God offers the same opportunity to us. I say again, first John chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you who are listening to me, upon me also, that me and you should be called what? The Son of God. Who was the person that used that language? The angel. Why did he use it? Because Jesus was born of the Holy Ghost and he said he was a holy thing. And this advantage, John understood that it was a high privilege. Do you now understand why? Because you'll be wondering, what's so beautiful about this matter? It's not the Son of God we still hear every time. What does it, what's the advantage of becoming the Son of God? It's no big deal there. It's a big deal. To be the Son of God means that you are born again. You have the birth that Jesus had. Where he, the only difference between Jesus and us is that he had the new birth from the womb we have to grow up then like it says in john 1 verse 12 believe in him and once we believe the experience that john said jesus said will happen to nicodemus will happen to us we will be born again and once we are born again we become partakers of the divine nature the thing jesus had that inseparable human and divine nature will be in us we will have it through the holy ghost and we can say behold what manner of love is this that this high experience of Christ's incarnation, though we are not incarnated, but yet we can have the experience of having that human and divine nature blended in one. We are yet human, but yet we are partakers of the divine nature like Jesus. And this is what makes it to be that we can be called the sons of God. And when we are called the sons of God, we know that we are partaking of the nature that Jesus partook of, the divine nature, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And through him, we can overcome full we can live sinless lives because John says in 1 John 3 verse 9, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Would you take advantage of that experience today to be called the son of God, like the babe of Bethlehem? It's offered to you. If you believe, as it says in John 1 verse 12, as many as believed, God will give you power. Have faith. God will give you the power to become the son of God. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for this wonderful revelation. Behold, indeed, what manner of love you have bestowed upon us that we should have the same experience as our Lord Jesus to partake of the new birth of the Spirit that we may be new creatures partaking of the divine nature, being that holy thing, the sons of God. Thank you, Lord. We pray that every blessing you have given appropriated to us through this promise of giving us the Holy Ghost the fullness in us. I pray that it shall be accorded to us. Thank you, Father. Help us to understand more deeply, more clearly the knowledge of God, that through this saving knowledge, we may indeed keep your commandments and live the life of the Son of God. 
In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the angel with a strong voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org.